0: Hello, and welcome to FM On Demand with Tara Fitzpatrick, Food Management's podcast. I'm your host, Tara Fitzpatrick, and we have an expert today from the American Speech Language Hearing Association, or ASHA, and this is Stephanie Lamana. She is going to talk to us about picky eaters. And That spans a lot of different things. It can mean maybe a physical problem that someone has trouble eating or what we think of more often, I think, is like a picky kid eater. And those of us in K through 12 will know that like that's a huge deal and just parents know how it is, too. But I think we all know that adult as well, who only is going to eat chicken fingers like ever. And... My daughter is a picky eater, and I always just thought it's like God has a sick sense of humor because I'm such a foodie and I love trying new things, so of course my daughter doesn't. And my dad is a picky eater too. Like, he hates peanut butter, he won't eat tomatoes, and I always try to do my own research on them. But um, speaking with Stephanie, we really get into what are some things beyond, like... Let's, you know, different ways that we all have heard of to get people to try stuff. We talk about that, but we also talk about it's like there's there's difficulties that people encounter. So I think it it requires like a good dose of compassion, which we all need more of these days anyway. But this is really, I, I think we, we all can benefit from kind of getting this this different viewpoint about picky eaters. So please enjoy. Hey, Stephanie, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, Tara, thank you so much for having me. And before we get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about the American Speech Language Hearing Association, because I think this is going to be interesting to so many of our listeners because of the types of fields that they are in, um, not just healthcare, but definitely healthcare, um, but K through 12, college. I mean, I think this kind of like applies to a lot of different people in our readership. So tell us a little bit, like, what is this association? What does it do?
1: Sure. Um, so we are the American Speech Language Hearing Association or ASha. Um, so we are the member organization that represents uh, speech language pathologists and audiologists. Um, we have over 200,000 members. Um, and wow. we, yeah, yeah, there's a lot That's of a us. lot yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, and we engage in um, you know, a variety of activities that help support our members. Um, so we engage in advocacy efforts. Um, you know, at the local, state, and government levels to advance policies, um, you know, to support our members, we engage in a lot of content and resource development for our members um you know to support uh, their own professional development mm-hmm. and education um and really like the whole goal of the organization is is to support the member we maintain credentialing um mm-hmm. so you might see a speech pathologist or an audiologist um who has a certification after their name mm-hmm. um either cccslp or um ccca and that basically sets okay. the standards for what SLPs and audiologists are um are practicing to um to make sure that they're practicing what at what we call the top of their license. Um, mm-hmm. So what does an SLP do? That um, <laughs> yeah, so was my next, next question. question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah exactly exactly. Um, so I am a speech language pathologist um and we are the profession that um helps Um, people work on communication goals, um, feeding and swallowing, um, and any sort of speech language issues. Um, we can help with cognition and we really treat, um, across the entire age spectrum. So, um, patients or clients or students, um, Mm -hmm. from birth Mm -hmm. until, um, geriatric age, which is really great. So, um, this field is so big. Um, so you might be asking like, what does an SLP do with a baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, kind of where my, um, my experience comes from. So,
0: um, I, Ooh, so practice- you were working with the little ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) my experience, um, is mostly in the birth to three, um, Mm -hmm. age range and a a little bit older, um, of that as well, but I mostly Mm -hmm. focus on birth to three right now. Um, so we can help infants learn how to eat sucking and swallowing falls within our scope of practice which is really good yeah, so
0: babies can have issues with that like i know like they call it like the the term is like tongue tied like if they're having trouble breastfeeding because there's like some little part of their tongue that isn't like it's too attached or something and they can't get their little mouth around
1: yeah, you're exactly right. So tongue tie <laughs> is certainly one part of that. Um, we work with a lot of premature or sick infants in a hospital. Oh,
0: oh my gosh. That's such important work. Oh my God. yeah,
1: It's really rewarding. So yeah. um, when infants are born early, they don't have all the connections in their brain that teach them about no. eating.
0: Yeah, Breathing's
1: really hard for them. Um, so that's one part of it. But we can also have newborns out in the community who were born full term, who may have feeding issues because of a medical problem. Um, Um, or, um, you know, they, there might be something going on within their family, um, that makes eating just hard for them. So we help support infants and their family. Um, as children start to get a little bit older, we can also help toddlers and school age children learning, um, how to move their mouths, how to manage food in their mouths, how to chew, um, how to, um, like and accept <laughs> a variety of different textures mm-hmm. and tastes. Um, so that's kind of where yeah. the the very general um, basis of what we do.
0: For sure. And I'm not sure if I mentioned at the beginning, senior dining is also like a big category that I cover. And I know that they talk about dysphagia and there um, are swallowing issues. There's different levels of foods that they, they make for those folks. So I, I find myself covering that a lot. It's just, it's really interesting, like the way that you can help people. And it, it seems like ASHA is there to help people help people, (laughs) So, which I, that's the great thing about kind of associations are there, like, we're here to support the people that are really doing some awesome work. Super yeah. cool. The, I Definitely. really
1: love the way you put that. It's the organization <laughs> to help people help people because we yeah. are a profession of helpers. Um, For sure. You know, which is, is so exciting to just be able to give back and so rewarding yes. to help families, especially with feeding and swallowing, right? Like mm. eating is not only something biological, mm-hmm. but think about all the the cultural aspects that yes. are involved in it, the social aspects, mm-hmm. right? How hard and, and how... Just um devastating would it yeah. be to you if you couldn't go out to dinner with your friends.
0: When you can't participate in that. It's yes, that's I know that's why I love um covering and writing about food because there's so many intersections that that it comes to and and food justice and, and things like that. Absolutely. Because it's yeah, it's a sense of community, it's sort of like the original way that like we all get together and break bread. Yeah. And this kind of brings us into when I talk to people from all segments, there is always a segment of their population who they are feeding that are what we would call picky eaters. And I'm doing ear quotes, (laughs) picky eaters, because it kind of encompasses, it it could be a physical thing, but they just know that there's this group, they only want chicken fingers, or they just like three things that they eat. And there's adults that are this way too. And my, I I don't want to get too sidetracked, but my My own dad is a totally picky eater and he just turned 74. So he's, and I try to interview him because I'm curious about this and how does this sort of, because my daughter is a picky eater too. So I ask them questions. I'm like, about this particular item, what is it that bothers you about it? Like, my dad won't eat a tomato because he's like, it might be like rotten inside. I don't know what it's, it's the unexpected, but. I guess my question is for your organization, like defining picky eaters, is there a division between like, it's a sensory thing, they're a texture person, or is it like, this is a disorder that somebody, you know what I mean? Like, how, how do you kind of approach that?
1: Sure. So there's two different kinds of ways that this goes a little bit. Um, you know, picky eating is certainly like a nice catch all term to Mm -hmm. use. Um, there's picky eating and then there's what we would call problem feeding or a pediatric feeding disorder. So, um, a pediatric feeding disorder is generally defined as, um, impaired oral intake or impaired eating that's not age appropriate Mm -hmm. um and is associated with a medical nutritional feeding skill or psychosocial dysfunction um so that's like a pretty big definition right um Mm. and there's lots of things that can go into what we would call a feeding disorder or problem feeding um so we know that picky feeding is developmentally normal right toddlers Mm. oh their independence and um Mm -hmm. you know They're growing in other areas and and they like to control food. Um, And most of the time they grow out of it um, once they reach school age or maybe a little bit beyond that. But um, there are children for whom it becomes problematic um, and it affects the family dynamic. Um, And that's, that's, I think the biggest piece of all of this. Like not only does um, feeding challenges impact, the child, right? It can have a negative impact on their um quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may not be able to engage with their peers the same way.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, like at in the school lunchroom. Like it's Yeah.
1: Mm. Right. Mm. Right. Like if their friends are eating something and they're choosing not to eat at all and somebody pulls them out of the lunchroom. Or mm-hmm. um, you know, going to a birthday party and oh yeah they don't want it. It's they like, there's eat.
0: nothing here that I can eat or that I want to eat. My daughter does that all the time. Like for it's sure. Nothing. Like there's, yes. I mean, Thanksgiving dinner, like she doesn't like it. And that's actually how I found out about you guys was an email that was like for holidays. Um, Here's how you can, you can help your child and when they're having feeding difficulties, like during meals. So just offering advice for that. And a lot of these, um, there was like, there's some tips that have it. And I I will put links to your organization in the sure. show notes so people can check out more of this stuff. But um, it's like involve your child in the preparation. I know a lot of schools do this and are looking to do more of this, especially since we're getting out of the pandemic and more things can be like hands-on, like having the school chef come and like say, this is jicama and here's, <laughs> here's what it is and try it. So those, and I've heard of like for myself, I've done, um, for my daughter- I do a no thank you bite, like where it's like if you try something, like you can just try one bite and then you can say no thank you, but at least just try it. Sure. But I think it is for so many people, it's like a texture thing. And yeah. yeah, and there's there's one on here I'm just reading through. It's like set expectations for others. It says, let grandparents, aunts and uncles know that like we're handling our child's eating this. You you don't have to like go off on our This is how kind of how I interpreted it. Like even if the child says ew or gross and my daughter totally does that. And I'm like, Oh, geez, don't. Uh. And we say stuff like don't yuck my yum. And yep. that I feel like that's a very good one where it's like, you don't need to vocalize like, <laughs> yeah. just in terms of, like, what have you guys been discovering are some other like kind of effective ways to like, I don't know, not necessarily fix this, but like help this person like be able to enjoy food a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So I, I do want to like step it back a little bit and explain um, why this sort of happens. Um, So food, it can vary a lot for kids, right? We know that kids love predictability. We know that they love routine, right? They Mm -hmm. thrive in routine Um, and think about a Dorito right mm-hmm. kids love Doritos or chicken fingers you brought up mm-hmm. before yeah chicken fingers generally always look the same they generally mm-hmm. always taste the same especially if you buy the same brand yeah um if you buy a bag of Doritos they always mm-hmm. look the same they yeah. always taste the same
0: there's no surprises you know no exactly surprises. what you're getting and I would right. I would say McDonald's fits yes. in the
1: category too. McDonald's it's always Wendy's the same. Yeah. they yeah. always look the same and they always mm-hmm. taste the same mm-hmm. but mom makes pasta at home and adds maybe, um, chicken to it and it looks different or cooks different, right. Um, or it tastes different depending on what you add to your sauce. Mm -hmm. Um, if you make vegetables, Let's say you make sweet potatoes, you can roast them, Mm -hmm. you can bake them, you can make them french fries, there are lots of different things. They don't always taste the same or look the same. And And that can be really um, overwhelming for children. That's
0: interesting. Yeah, it makes sense.
1: And their way to kind of deal with that is to say, no, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. Um, And really a child's behavior is their communication with us. They might not have the words or the cognitive ability to explain like, this looks different and it's Mm -hmm. overwhelming to me Mm -hmm. um, or it tastes different and it's overwhelming to me. Instead, they push it away um, or they say, yuck, or Mm -hmm. they don't want it. Um, Yeah, it's like a
0: defense mechanism, I guess you could say. They're sort of like, nope. They just nope out before it's like they don't even want to get into it of like what the how and why's and because they can't even articulate that sometimes as as you said okay Mm -hmm. and what do
1: we do if we don't want to do something we nope out of it right we're like no thanks (laughs) see you later Uh Um, so it's the same for for children who you know, may just have general picky eating, not even problem feeding. So then, you know, adding on to that, being a child who has a pediatric feeding disorder, that increases tenfold. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so how can you kind of uh, manage that with a child is really respecting their communication um, and working with their families. Um, At ASHA and as an SLP, we really like to support what we call um, IPP or interprofessional practice or interpersonal. Mm-hmm professional collaboration.
0: I don't think Um, I'm familiar with that. That sounds good though.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. What that means is that, um, we, um, engage with other members of the medical or treatment team. So if you're in a hospital, you might work with a physician, you might work with a nurse, you mm-hmm. might work with a specialist who's treating the child. Yeah. You might work with a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team comes together to provide like a a really well rounded approach for what the child needs. Cause everyone brings um cool. a, a different piece to the puzzle, right? Yeah. Um, so I look at, you know, for for the people that you're working with, you know, we can work collaboratively Mm -hmm. um, with the family, right? Hmm. Um, So, you can talk to the family and find out like what sorts of strategies work for your child at home. What can we replicate Mm -hmm. here? Um, How can we respect your child's communication? Uh, Because that's the biggest thing. If, if you're forced to do something, you're not going to want to engage with it. Mm -hmm. If it's scary, if it's overwhelming, um, if it feels difficult, you're just not going to want to do it. And that's what happens to a lot of children. They, they shut down when it comes to feeding.
0: Absolutely. I mean, how much of it, I wonder, did it really happen that much? Or is it just like a, like an old trope or a stereotype that you would see like on TV shows where the kid is like, you're going to sit there. The parents say you're going to sit here until you eat this broccoli and like they're sitting there all night and the broccoli is cold. That always to me seemed like that's a good way to give your kid an eating disorder. Like, hello, what in the world? do you feel like that really happened? Or, I mean, is that maybe exaggerated for like pop culture, but like, I feel like a lot of parents, like maybe like in the sixties, seventies, eighties, like kind of, were like, you're not doing this. This is my way or the highway. Yeah. And I think that's, I I do
1: think some of it's exaggerated and it is a bit of a trope, but I also think it's real too, because Mm -hmm. I see families um, in the outpatient clinic I work in who have kind of these notions about, how much their children should be eating, what they should be eating and what mealtime routines should look like because of how they were raised.
0: It's tough. And it's cultural too. And it's, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. like different parenting styles that you're going to come across because a lot of people have said to me, like, you're, you're too soft on her. Like you're too, you accommodate her too much. And I'm like, well, that's my prerogative. Yeah. somebody said to me, you're, you know, you're not, it was her pediatrician actually said, you're not you're not a short order cook. She should eat whatever. And I was like, I could be. I'm pretty good in the kitchen, and I do that. Like I make variations. Like we all, we I will eat something that has like a sauce on it, but then maybe hers will be plain. It's like I absolutely. And lately, she's really into artichokes. So who knows? What a if great you can, choice. If you can dip it in butter, that's that's my tip. For-
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's also but, something I enjoy doing: dipping yeah, all my food in butter. <laughs> for um, sure, and then, I, Oh, oh no! I'm sorry. Go on. I like how you you know kind of bring up the pressure that you receive from other people mm-hmm. um and I think some of that is just kind of built into you know our society and passed yeah. along from generations like you know my grandmother would yell at me if I didn't I finish my <laughs> <buy laughs> right. food um yeah. and, and parents get this notion that this is what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. I think it's compounded then by um you know feeding challenges so we know yeah. that parents of children who have a feeding disorder um, experience stress trauma um and kind of like a loss of identity right it's a biological oh, yeah. um process to feed your child
0: yeah. um and
1: how does it feel when your child won't eat mm-hmm. um and it's that true. pressure just adds to that distress
0: right yeah and then I think it's it's sort of like it becomes like the path of least resistance it's and well and the pandemic was so good and bad for me like getting to know DoorDash (laughs) because it's like, I can be like the best mom in the world. Like, can we get McDonald's tonight? And I'm like, Oh, sure. And I, I was on a really good track for a while with like avoiding fast food, like have it once in a while for a treat. So (laughs) Back to the next question. Um, I wanted to see a lot of our um, listeners have to deal with the national school lunch program. And that means that they're even more limited as to what they can serve the kids. And there is that dynamic that we were talking about between parents and then the people who feed them during the day, Mm -hmm. where sometimes that's like a sticky situation. But what are some ways do you think that like sort of opening up that communication with parents that are like, my kid doesn't like anything that the school is offering and school lunch programs are always trying to get more participation. And I know that they are feeding a lot of kids so they don't always have time to like individually but a lot of them do i mean they try as best they can so like what are some strategies you would say for that yeah
1: that's a really good question um i think one of the biggest things for children um is making feeding approachable for them yes. um so I know this isn't always the easiest thing to do, but involving them in Mm -hmm. some sort of meal preparation makes food a little bit less scary. And you'd be surprised that when children are involved in food preparation, they're actually a little bit more likely to try something, right? If they're helping put a sandwich together, or they're helping, you know, to assemble a tray, um, and they get a little piece of food on their finger, they might like it off and be like, oh, that's mm-hmm. not so bad. Um, um, it just makes it feel more approachable for them. Um, I think sitting them, you know, with their peers and having them watch their peers eat, right. Like yeah, our parents always made that joke, sure. like, oh, if your best friend jumped off a bridge, would you do, do so <laughs> <Yes. too?"> um, <laughs> you know, and, and the kind of idea is that like, we watch our peers and we replicate what they yeah. do. Um, yeah. I also think not putting like a time limit and respecting their hunger and satiety. Cues. I know. So, and that's, what's
0: hard with schedules too. Cause like some, <laughs> Oh man, like some schools have it staggered out where, and my boyfriend was even remembering like when he was in high school, he's like, well, my lunch was at 10 AM each <laughs> day. It's like, Oh my God. Yeah. And so all of that stuff just kind of comes together and you just, you ha- just have to try your best. And yeah, how firm do you think that, um, someone who's serving the food in a, a school cafeteria should be about like, what's a good approach for them to get the kids to try it? Like, should they be like, just try it? Like how, you know what I mean? Like how's, how should they act? I guess. Yeah. I think being, More con,
1: um, more like laid back
0: is probably
1: better than Mm -hmm. being firm. Yeah. Um. Because as we know, with anything else, right? If you're firm with trying to get your child to put their shoes on, if you're firm with trying to get them to clean up their toys, what happens? They'll just dig in
0: their heels more. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, and food is something that they're going to control even more. Yeah. Um. So I tend to think just kind of letting it unfold naturally and giving them the support that they need. So, you know, if you see the that a child's maybe feeling a little overwhelmed or they're pushing food away, it might be helpful to yes. just sit with them and talk with them and not mm-hmm. even about the food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could talk with them about how they're feeling. Are they hungry? Um, yeah. you know, what's, what's kind of making them uncomfortable.
0: Is it too loud in the cafeteria? Um, yeah, it could be they, so many of those things. Yes. Yeah. Right. And the people that, that feed kids have so much heart and they really do care about each little face that comes down the line. And it just, it's so awesome to see that too, in person. It's just,
1: uh. yeah. And nobody like, right. We feel like if children don't eat, they're going to lose weight. They're going to suffer consequences of that right like yeah. it always comes from a well-intentioned place nobody's yeah. ever encouraging a child to eat because they want to hurt that child no
0: no you want them to be healthy and it's you yeah. want them to
1: be healthy right um but sometimes you know being pushy about it and being mm-hmm. overly firm takes away the child's ability to control what's happening to them right and we want to give we don't know all the time what's going on at home um right that child mm-hmm. may feel a lot of stress oh, sure. or anxiety oh, related yeah. to food um you know their mealtime routines might be different at home um so yeah. really respect um of yeah. their communication is the biggest thing i i would recommend um and also if there's concerns about the child not eating well at school mm. talk to their families yeah. and see you know what are they are they experiencing the same thing at home Because. It might be as simple as the child eats a big breakfast before they leave and they're just not hungry. Right. I also feel like we don't have a great understanding of just how much a child should be eating. mm -hmm. Um and I'm not gonna, yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, make any descriptions about that because I'm not a dietitian. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we feel like children should be eating as much as
0: adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which why wouldn't you think that? Because it's like, I'm, I'm not hungry. I had this, this helping of it or whatever. Yeah, it's there's man, there's so many like aspects of it. And I listened to this really good podcast. It's called maintenance phase. And that has a lot. To, they talk a lot about disordered eating. And like, that's, that's a whole nother thing that a whole nother show that we could probably talk about. Um, But that's, that's really interesting to me. And it's, it's strange the way that like well-meaning adults can like really kind of mess you up when you're a kid. So it's, it's a big responsibility to, that we're, you know, caring for these, these little people because they're, they're going to grow up. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. And I, I wanted to ask you if there was like kind of any new research or case studies or things that like you guys have come across, like that you're surprised by, or that's interesting
1: yeah, there's a ton of research coming out in this area. So this is, um, you know, a relatively young area of our field and we're starting to learn more about what we call responsive feeding or listening to the child's communication. Um, and there's a really great article that just came out in our, um, special interest group, number 13. So that's the group, um, that, um, They're the special interest is swallowing or swallowing disorders. Okay. Um, and it's from June of 2022 and I can share the link with you, um, that talks about pediatric feeding disorders and early intervention. Um, so early intervention is typically a state funded program, um, that supports children with, um, with developmental needs, um, from age birth to three. And I really like this article because it really goes into, um, why responsive feeding is important and what a feeding, uh, Feeding, a pediatric feeding <laughs> disorder is, yeah. um, and the impact of feeding on children and families. And I think, you know, even though oh, yeah, is- I want to
0: read this. We'll definitely we'll put the we'll put the link down below for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I like this paper because it really talks about with a lot of research, um, behind it on just the impact on the family and on the child, mm-hmm. and just how. Much worry and frustration there is, and um, how routines are so long and difficult, and how Mm -hmm. that just ripples throughout a child's life and and the family's life. Mm -hmm. Um, And while this paper centers a little bit more on early intervention, I think it's applicable for all ages. It's a little technical, but it, it's very mm-hmm. easy to read and
0: understand. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We can skim through it if there's, <laughs> or Google things, if you don't know what <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> I love to yeah. read white papers. Yes. I feel so <laughs> smart because if, if someone interrupts you, you're like, I'm reading a white paper, excuse me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And but I know that
0: that sounds good for sure.
1: I think the most important thing you know that comes out of this is that um children and parents don't get the opportunity to bond as well. Um, when feeding is really challenging and Mm -hmm. how that affects the rest of their relationships. Um, that's really like the most important takeaway to me.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds good. That, that definitely is, good research that, that we want to keep up with. And then, and you need that research to make the policy change, as you said, like where this is a state funded thing. It's like, we need to learn more about this so you can get more resources behind it for sure.
1: Yeah. And we were talking before yeah. about, you know, well-intentioned adults. And um, <laughs> one of my favorite lines from this paper is that um, these feeding practices where we're like a little forceful or or overly firm um, mm-hmm. are really counterproductive yeah. um, and they undermine the child's trust in their parent. Yeah. And if they can't even trust their parent, how are they going to trust other adults?
0: Right, right. That's, yeah, all very good points and lots of stuff that that we can do better at, that we can delve into and and just keep learning more. So yeah. cool. Well, I definitely want to stay in touch with you. I hope that you'll come back again on the podcast and yeah, let's, let's keep in touch.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for this. This is um, an area that's so important to me and something that I'm so passionate about. So I appreciate the opportunity to share.
0: Absolutely. We appreciate you.